good to be back in the assembly. One of the things we look forward to, isn't it? I just can't imagine people not, or Christians, not wanting to assemble if we're able. So it's a blessing from God. It's the way God intended it to be. This morning we talked about the uh, anchor of the soul, that being the hope of eternal life that is anchored in Jesus Christ himself. Tonight I want us to look at the harvest of souls and basing it on the narrative in the first part of John chapter 4, if you'd like to be turning there. This is a familiar account in John's gospel of Jesus and his uh, disciples, his apostles traveling. They're going from uh, Judea up to Samaria, and in between, of course, we know is Samaria. And we know about that, how that there was animosity uh, throughout history between the Samaritans and the Jews, each hating the other, despising the other. So much to the extent that oftentimes a Jew traveling from south to north uh, would go all the way to the east and crossing the Jordan River, go up on the east bank and then cross back over into Samaria, bypassing Samaria altogether. But here we see that uh, Jesus isn't typical. Uh, Jesus uh, did not hate the Samaritans. And logic says that uh, the easiest, quickest way from Judea to Samaria is to go straight up. And that's what he did. So in John chapter 4, beginning uh, with uh, verse 1, it reads, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the place of the ground uh, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from the journey, set by that well. It was about the ninth, uh, about the sixth hour, or about 12 noon. And so we see here as it begins the narrative, and we'll be going through about uh, verse 42 of the chapter. Uh, Jesus. Uh, said that uh, he needed to. It's not just a matter of convenience. Uh, of course, it was. That was the quickest way, and he had no reason uh, why not to go straight up through Samaria on his way to uh, uh, Galilee. But the narrative by inspiration says that, that he needed to do that. And, of course, Jesus, knowing all things, uh, the hearts of men, he knew uh, what opportunity would be uh, availed to him by going through Samaria and stopping at the city of, of Sychar. So I want us to be looking at the idea of harvest, the harvest of souls. This is why Jesus needed uh, to go straight up through Samaria. He had some personal evangelism to do there in Samaria. 
So let's think about the idea of harvest in relation to souls. Harvest uh, was a very important aspect of the biblical world. Harvest, or literally it means a cutting, of course is the period at the end of a growing season when crops are gathered. And in the Bible, we find that the harvest was always marked with great celebrations and even religious festivities. Three of the feasts that we're familiar with are centered around the, the harvest. There is the Feast of Passover, uh, which is in April, and that was a celebration of the harvest of barley. Uh, there is the Feast of Pentecost that we're very familiar with seven weeks later, and that was in celebration of the wheat harvest. And then there was the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the year, which was a celebration of the harvest of fruit. Harvest is also used in the Bible metaphorically. We did that this morning with the anchor. But it's used metaphorically in the New Testament to describe God's judgment. Sometimes it's referred to as a harvest. Uh, it's also used in reference to the last judgment, the harvest. And then the idea of harvest is used metaphorically for the gathering together of those who believe in Jesus. And that's the one that we want to look at uh, tonight. So I want us to look as we continue our reading in chapter 4 of how Jesus used the term harvest in John chapter 4. There are three elements that we're going to be looking at. Uh, in verses 1 through 30, there is sowing for the harvest, or in other words, uh, planting for it. Second, there is seeing the harvest in the verses 31 through 35, and that is looking for it. And then there is securing the harvest, verses 36 through 42, and that is gathering it. So let's look at these one by one. First of all, let's consider the sowing for the harvest. We've already uh, began our reading but let's read, continue on to about verse 30. We'll pick up with verse 7 where I left off. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman uh, of Samaria, our then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well, drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. 
but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living of water, springing up unto everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So let's consider what we've read thus far. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus, of course, is not only the master teacher, he's also the master evangelist. He knows the hearts of all men. He knew this woman. He told her some of the things that amazed her that he knew such things, knew that she was in a lost uh, condition. And so he's seeking to bring her to belief, belief in the Christ. She knows a little bit about it from their teachings and, and so on, but not the true knowledge that is needed to enter into the kingdom. And so Jesus sets about, you might say in a psychological way, of gently leading her along to the point where she is going to uh, initiate a great movement in that city. When the disciples comes back, she decides it's time for her to leave. She's heard enough. And so she goes back into the city and she tells the men. You know, you get the idea here that this woman is not so much accepted by the other women of the village. They usually come in the early hours of the morning to draw water. Here she is at noon coming out to draw water. And then when she goes back in, it is to the men that she is talking. Come 
see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this possibly be the Christ? And so she must have been very convincing because the men and many others began to follow her out of the city toward where Jesus is at the well. And so I think we see here the uh, context in verse uh, in verses 25 through 30, where, it see, where we see the result of what Jesus had been doing with this woman. A great multitude is coming toward him, an expectant multitude, a hopeful multitude. It is indeed a harvest that is ripe for harvest, and Jesus has accomplished this. Involved in any harvest, of course, is seed and the field. We know from the parable of Jesus uh, of the sower, and we'll look at Luke 8 in Luke's account of the parable of the sower. In verse 11, it plainly tells us that the seed is the word of God. And that's what Jesus was doing with this woman. He was sowing the seed of the word of God. And then we learn from Luke's account of this parable that the field is the hearts of men. In Luke 8, beginning with verse 12 through 15, listen as he describes uh, the field. The ones along the path, talking about the seed that the sower sowed, uh, some falling on different kinds of ground, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. Uh, they believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for that which fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And so here we see the harvest has to do with first of all, planting the seed, sowing the seed. And that's what we see here. The sower, of course, in the narrative that we're reading is Jesus Christ himself, but by application to us, we are the sowers. We have the word of God. And we go out into the world seeking a harvest of souls. And so we have to sow the seed. We hope that it will fall on the good soil, and some of it will. But much of it, perhaps most of it, will fall on other kinds of hearts that are in varying degrees receptive or non-receptive and do not bear fruit in the end, that there is no harvest for it. So reading Jesus' account here, we first of all see him sowing the word of God. He is God. He is the Son of God. He who speaks to you am He. I am the Messiah. 
And so, as we said, she goes into the city, and there she tells the men about all of this, and here they come. And so we begin again with the second part, and that is seeing the harvest. We've seen the first element, sowing for the harvest, but now we're looking at the aspect of seeing the harvest. And we pick up with verse 31, and we go through verse 35. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is, not, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. We've got to look for the harvest. I know when uh, I was growing up, we always had uh, cotton, and we had corn, and uh, other uh, types of crops. But where the church building stands now is our cotton field, and I remember the preparation, and those of you who uh, grew up on farms or farming yourself know the procedure. In the fall, you know, the old crop is laid by and the soil is turned under, and then in the spring, it is all disked and a seed bed is prepared, and then there is the planting of the seed. And then after that seed is planted, there is a lot involved in bringing it to a harvest or to maturity. Those plants begin to come up from the rain and the sunshine, and then when they get up so high, it's uh, time to chop cotton. And so we go out with hoe in hand and uh, we begin to space it all out and uh, divide it up into neat stands in a row. And then in a little while, uh, grass begins to come in and it's hoeing time. And again, you take the hoe out and you get all that grass out or you try to. If it's Johnson grass, it'll come right back can't get rid of Johnson grass. <laughs> but all of this is in preparation for the harvest to come. And you keep on, a little bit later it's time to cultivate it, and you put the cultivator on the tractor, and you go out and you cultivate two or three times. And then as it comes on up, it's time to uh, defoliate. The bowls have uh, ripened, they've opened up, and the foliage is uh, uh, put on, applied, and the leaves come off, and it's a sea of white. It's really beautiful. You ought to see it from the air. That's one of the things we look forward to coming home from Africa was flying over the cotton fields of Madison County and seeing all that white down there. And so what we're saying here is that we've got to see the harvest. Wouldn't it be tragic if after all of this preparation and everything for harvest that you fail to see it when it's ready? If we just walk out into the cotton field and 
you just kind of look around and, and you don't really feel the need to, to gather it. You just kind of walk through it. That's kind of what I wanted to do at the time instead of picking the stupid stuff. But you've got to look for it. And that's what farmers do. They are doing all of this in expectation for the harvest. And they look for it and they're rejoicing and glad when the harvest is ready. But seeing the harvest here, we see that uh, Jesus is telling his apostles, look, you don't realize it. You're thinking about food and eating, and you don't even realize that coming toward us right now is a, is a harvest that is ripe for reaping, for gathering. And I can imagine that Jesus, as he spoke these things, to his apostles after they had returned and trying to get him to eat, that he's looking maybe over their shoulders, over their heads, and he's seeing the gates of the city over here. And he's seeing this throng of people, more than likely dressed in white, I can imagine, because Jesus says, lift up your eyes, get your eyes off of the bread, and look, look what's coming to us. A sea of white, this is a harvest, coming to us it's ready right now and they ended up as we'll see in just a little bit staying there a while longer and there were many who came to believe but in conjunction with seeing the harvest we've got to understand some principles and one of the principles is that it is God who gives increase yes man prepares a physical crop himself but in the end, who gives us that sea of white cotton? It's God himself. God is the one who gives it. And that is brought out in 1 Corinthians 3 and verses 6 through 7. And there the Apostle Paul says, as he's writing to the Corinthians, uh, reminding them of how he was among them, how the gospel was preached, and how they believed and obeyed. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so it's God who gives the increase. And so our eyes must ever be open to see when God's work is done, when God's work is ready to be gathered into a harvest. But you know, sometimes it seems that our prejudices prevent us from seeing the whitened harvest. The apostles were oblivious to it. It's almost like Jesus had to take a two-by-four and wham them over the head before they'd wake up and see what, realize what's happening here. And sometimes we're that way. Sometimes we are in the midst of something that's been going on that God has been blessing and we don't even realize it. We fail to see it. And there's no sadder picture than standing in the midst of a great harvest and not recognizing it. So this is the second element here that we are looking at. And that is in the harvest of souls, we've got to see and look for the harvest. But then in the last page, uh, place, there is securing the harvest or gathering it in verses 36 through 42. It's 
So we'll finish the reading, beginning with verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who uh, reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman, uh, because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that it, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so comes the time that the harvest that has been prepared for, that we've been looking for, needs to be gathered. It needs to be harvested. So the greatest celebration has to be when ripened harvest is gathered. When a person believes the gospel, he is a ripened spiritual harvest rather for, ready for gathering. And we reap the harvest by teaching how to receive God's salvation in obedience to the gospel. So sometimes it's the sower who gets to do the reaping. The one who actually began the process of sowing the seed of the word of God, sharing the gospel. And that's always great. Sometimes it is the one who comes a little bit later on and waters the crop. Sometimes this is the one that gets to enjoy the satisfaction of seeing the person come to obedience. And then sometimes it's the one who comes way further down in life and just happens to be there when the person says, I need to obey the gospel and gets to see that person obeyed the gospel. You know, uh, it seems to me that a lot of times those of us who are engaged in personal evangelism and uh, that sort of thing, if we're not careful, we, we tend to uh, look down sometimes upon others who are not doing what we're doing. And uh, we all need to be out knocking doors, we all need to be out uh, sharing uh, our faith with, with people. And uh, sometimes it, it kind of puts a guilt trip if, if we're not doing that. But you know, really, uh, that's, that's not the true picture. I think what we're seeing here is, and what Jesus said that, well, for instance, you know, uh, there's an old African saying that it takes a village to bring up a child. It takes a man and a woman, a, a father and a mother, to give birth to a child and to give it nourishment and everything. 
But that's not all that's involved in the upbringing of that child. It's the whole village that's involved in it. And I think it's the same can be said of, uh, of uh, sharing our faith, bringing believers to obedience uh, of the gospel. It may be that uh, something that you said or an encouragement that you may have given somebody may have been part of the picture that would lead him later on to obey the gospel. You might be uh, not ever know about it, but you had a part in that person's obedience, a small part. And, and so I think we need to have an understanding that uh, in any given situation, there are exceptions, I probably uh, should say, but for the most part, people who come to obedience uh, it's the result of many having an impact for good upon that person. And it's a joyous day when uh, we get to be the one who helps this person be immersed into Christ in baptism and rise up a new creature. But we should not believe that this is what God has done through me alone. It's what God is through and through anybody. But it can be any number of us down along the way. We live our lives day by day as Christians the best we can, being good people. When we have an opportunity, the best we can with the talents that we have, share with people uh, something about the gospel, invite them to a Bible study that somebody else might lead, invite them to worship service, who knows? God knows. He works through all of these efforts and he blesses them to produce that final harvest of a person deciding to obey the gospel. So I'd like to leave that thought with you. Uh, don't feel guilty in some way that, that you're not the one that's out there uh, you know, walking down the streets, knocking on doors and that, that kind of thing. Just live your life Walk in the light as he is in the light. And who knows what God is working through you to lead somebody who comes into contact with you within your realm of influence may later on become a child of God. It's a beautiful thought. So what is important is that whoever recognizes that a believer is ready uh, must assist them in obeying the gospel. And this is indeed uh, reaping the harvest. And that's what's important. Don't overlook, but have your radars open. If somebody is ready to obey the gospel and you happen to be the one that will assist them, then that is wonderful because we all know the satisfaction that comes when a person obeys the gospel, a new person, a new soul is brought into the family of, of God. Well, we've looked tonight at this matter of uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, his teaching the apostles about the harvest and planning for it, looking for it, and then gathering it. The three personalities involved are Christians, non-Christians, and God. And so we must be the optimistic, patient sower, and the joyful and ready reaper in the harvest of souls. 
If you're with us tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to act upon your faith in repentance, confess before this group of Christians your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, and be immersed in water in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. If you need to do that tonight, we encourage you to do so now as we stand and sing. <laughs>